Strap yourself in because we're set up, switched on, and ready to go. Hello, Cosmos Country. Welcome to another edition of First Team Podcast. As a nation and throughout the world, we are currently experiencing scary times. I hope you and your family are safe and staying inside. I know this is a podcast about the New York Cosmos, but the current pandemic is on my mind every single day. It is impacting our lives in ways we probably haven't thought about. Besides the loss of pay, we're having to practice social distancing. I want the weekly episode of First Team Podcast to be the time when you can switch off and get your mind stuck into the craziness that is U.S. soccer, especially the lower divisions. Each week, I will have a guest on the show, and we will just sit back with a drink and have a chat about the beautiful game. You can send in your thoughts on soccer or on the current state of the pandemic. Whatever you want to discuss, feel free to email the show. And our email is firstteampod at gmail.com. I want to thank the medical staff at all New York City hospitals. In New York City, it is truly a ghost town. Everything has been put on pause, but hopefully we flatten the curve and we can get back to our lives. Sport resumes and we can finally have a sense of normality. I have felt it already with my chat with Rishi Sagal on this week's episode. It will be our chance to come together as sports fans and discuss something we love in a time of social distancing. Lastly, I hope you are taking this very seriously. My father is currently in the hospital with the coronavirus. He has been there for about a week, and it's really hard to take everything in when you can't visit your loved ones at the hospital or just go outside. Please stay inside and practice social distancing. It's very important so we can get back on track. On this week's episode, I'm joined by North American Soccer League Interim Commissioner Rishi Sagal. With the lawsuits playing out over the past couple of years and more to come in the near future, I thought it was very important to understand what's going on behind the scenes and what better person to talk to than the commissioner of the North American Soccer League. John, I'm doing well, all things considering. I think we're all uh, making do as best we can under the circumstances and you know, it is what it is with the uh, the coronavirus and this pandemic, and trying to stay uh, stay sane, stay active, but stay at home. Spending a lot of time at home. Before we talk about the NASL and we talk about the lawsuits and whatever's next, let's talk about you, Rishi. Um, what happened with you once you um, left New York City? What was that process like for you? I actually never moved to New York City. When the league office moved uh, to New York, I, I commuted from uh, my house in Miami. Um, and and so I didn't have to move there, from there. Um, we ended up moving, uh, my family and I moved out to Colorado last January. Uh, I started working with a company in the CBD space, uh, helping out a buddy of mine. Um, and it's been a pretty fun ride, but that is sort of wrapping up. So it's been uh, an interesting time. Um, and we're kind of, uh, you know, thinking about what uh, what's next and where we'll end up uh, in a few months. We have been uh, just watching the lawsuits 
and just hoping that everything goes in our favor. Um, have you been doing the same, just sitting around and, and uh, uh, besides your day job, uh, just watching and seeing what's going on with the lawsuit and just praying for the best? No, at various times, there's been a lot of different activities that kind of goes on behind the scenes. It's not in the public eye um, in, in lawsuits. And, you know, we filed the complaint September of 2017. Uh, we're two and a half years later, you know, now uh, from when we filed that. Um, but during that period, there have been fits and starts of activity. And uh, like last summer, last year, really, uh, 2019, was sort of the full-on discovery phase, uh, and that's when lots of depositions took place. I think 30 depositions in total. Um, I was deposed uh, five for five days um, on the stand across three separate occasions, and that started in January, I think, of 2019, and then there was another one in May. There's been a lot of activity, and I've seen a lot of it. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to talk about it, publicly yet because a lot of it is under seal. And so there's a confidentiality order in place um, that basically precludes anything coming out that people didn't already know that wasn't already in the public domain. And then certainly when we get to trial, uh, there will be, uh, you know, all the facts will be laid bare and a jury of our peers will get to decide uh, who's right and who's wrong in this case. With Rocco, it seems like it's uh, more of a physical and personal battle because he believes that a soccer should be different and should be run the right way in U.S. soccer. Um, we should have promotion and relegation. We should have that type of infrastructure. So that's great on one hand, but if the NASL has a favorable uh, result in the lawsuit, can we see the possibility of new teams joining the league and having a great competition on the field? Yeah, I think everything is on the table, frankly. I mean, look, the NASL still exists. We still have three members, um, which yeah, I know doesn't sound like a lot. Um, but what the, what the implications of a win will be will really dictate what the future will look like. Um, you know, these professional league standards, which are ridiculous, uh, we have said that many times, um, you know, there's this notion that we help draft the professional league standards. At one point, that's absolutely false and not true. Uh, never happened. Um, and even people who worked for the NASL at one point literally just didn't have the facts right. Uh, they weren't involved at that in those types of discussions or those types of decisions, and, and just didn't. You know, that didn't happen. Um, but what we can say is, you know, a favorable victory. There's two things we're asking for. There is a monetary damages component. And then there is the uh, injunctive relief. And that's what we asked for at the beginning of this case. Now, I'll tell you, knowing what we know now through discovery, I'm pretty confident we would have won the injunction, the preliminary injunction, uh, back in 2017. And if that had happened, I think the NASL would still be here. Um, and, you know, we'd be, it, it's just a different reality. So it's hard to predict what the future will be uh, in terms of what a league would look like or could look like. But I think you are you certainly see lots of interest in the sport in this country. It continues to grow. Um, we have a huge opportunity to grow the game uh, tremendously and in many different ways with the uh, the World Cup in 2026 coming uh, to North America. So that'll attract a lot of attention. And there, there's just, it, you know, the opportunity is still there, uh, but we have to be given the opportunity. Can you name those three members of the NASL currently? 
Yeah, so it's the Cosmos, Jacksonville, and Puerto Rico FC. Is there any uh, employees working for the NASL besides you and uh, the owners working for their own interests and the lawyers? Not right now. Um, and But that's certainly, obviously, a piece of the league that will resume um, and will build out a league office. We had a lot of plans. Uh, frankly, in 2017, one of our big discussion points was what the future of the NASL league office would look like, uh, addressing certain needs, build it, bringing in some more people, uh, and you know, all that work and all those plans got thrown out the toilet. Uh, on they got thrown in the toilet on September 1, 2017, and then flushed um, when uh, when we lost the injunction. Uh, we gave everybody notice, and adequate notice, multiple months. Uh, I think everybody got put in place severance plans for all the employees, so nobody got left out to dry, um, and everybody was kept informed. You know, when we had the uh, the the um, we filed the complaint, uh, I had a meeting, I think, with our staff two days before, or two days after. Uh, and I told him, I said, guys, this is going to tell you, it's going to say we're going to face uh, irreparable harm uh, and we'll likely go out of business. And that's true. If we don't win the injunction, we will likely go out of business. If we go out of business, we stop operating the league. We're not, we're not going to need to keep people on hand. Um, businesses you know, that are charities. Um, and so that, uh, that was just a brutal reality. But we, you know, we, we kept every, we kept, we gave everyone as big a heads up and kept them informed as we possibly could. Uh, and you know, I think uh, we have good relationships with all of our former employees. The current coronavirus pandemic is most likely uh, impacting the lawsuit, right? Yeah, unfortunately it is. I, I mean, I was oddly enough just uh, emailing back and forth with our lawyers today uh, that it is impacting the schedules. There's some depositions going on right now uh, relating to the expert witnesses who uh, will file expert reports relating to kind of the technical economic aspects of, uh, of antitrust cases. Uh, and those depositions are scheduled to occur this summer. Uh, and now they, they, people can't fly around, can't get to places. Um, and so that, that's going to impact that. And we'll see how that gets resolved. There's a, a possibility that it gets resolved by doing video depositions um, or things get pushed back. Um, but we'll have to see. We're hopeful, though, that we can get things moving um, and get this to trial uh, because, you know, frankly, the future of the sport is at stake and certainly the future of the NASL is at stake. What do you have to say to fans, maybe not fans of the NASL, but just soccer fans in general, uh, that say that the NASL carries uh, the brunt of the responsibility of why we're not sanctioned? I'd say, you know, the if you, if you look at the way the standards have been applied, and you look at the way U.S. soccer and MLS have been intertwined, um, it goes beyond just us. Um, and we certainly have been a victim of it, but there's a reason why there's a huge malaise for the sport in this country right now. Um, you know, MLS is growing; that's great, and USL is getting more investors. But they're sort of being forced. People are being a lot forced to, to go into one direction, and it's not necessarily a good direction. Our national team program is in shambles. Um, and you know, obviously missing out on the 2018 World Cup now, but didn't have. I don't think the NASL were playing. We would have been, in, that would have caused us to, to get into the World Cup because these problems have been going on for a long time. Um, the youth system 
is also similarly affected by some of the same underlying issues that have uh, that, that caused the NASL to, to lose its sanctioning and, and go away. The Federation doesn't like uh, it picks favorites. It has picked favorites. The people who, who have influenced the Federation have influenced it to pick their own favorites. Uh, and then you know you end up with a situation where uh, unless you're one of those favored child, the favored children, uh, you can't exist. And it's caused by, you know, the conflict of interest, uh, which, you know, the Federation's conflict of interest policy is ridiculous. It basically says if you have a soccer ball or you know what a soccer ball is, you can't possibly have a conflict of interest with the Federation. Uh, it's just silly. And you see it continues to be borne out. I mean, I don't know uh, Will Wilson, the new Secretary General CEO of U.S. Soccer. Is it logical, good optics? to bring somebody who comes from from a place like uh, who has the background of working at Soccer United Marketing, uh, working at Wasserman, which a lot of these issues, you know, they're not conspiracy theories. They're real issues with the way that those two businesses, profit businesses, for-profit businesses, have dominated the politics of the Federation uh, and have used the Federation for their own benefit, and the Federation benefits from it as well. Brian says, what role has the NASL been playing in the U.S. soccer landscape recently with no teams actually taking the field? We're not able to really play a role, and that's always been the case. Um, you know, we still have a vote because we've insisted for it. We're still a member of U.S. soccer. Uh, U.S. soccer has never been an inclusive organization. Um, and you know, when Carlos Cordero was elected president, there were he had campaigned on claims of change and that he would change the, the nature and tenor of the Federation. None of that came to bear. Um, and obviously that caught up with him. Um, so unfortunately, you know, it, we haven't been able to play a real role. It's, it's tough and it's been frustrating. And it hasn't just been since we haven't been playing, you know, in terms of shaping the future of the sport, unless you're, you have, we've got to look at the voting strength because that's ultimately what dictates the board. And that's where the discussions, that's where the policy and the, the 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 uh, the um, action of U.S. soccer is derived from is at their board level, and you look who's on the board and who makes up the board and what entities make up the 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 major substance of the board. If you're not on that and you don't have a presence there, you're going to get shut out, especially the way that they've been using it. What is your thoughts on uh, Carlos Cordero resigning uh, because of the lawsuit against the U.S. Women's National Team and what he said in the court documents? I think it's a good start, but I don't think it goes far enough. Um, I think a lot of people need to look themselves in the mirror and other members of that board, uh, maybe as much as all of them should resign. They, you can't tell me that they didn't know what their strategy was. And if they didn't, they either have, on the one hand, they didn't know what their strategy was, which means they were all abdicating their duty. Uh, and, and that's ridiculous. And on the other hand, if they did know what was what was being said in those arguments, which a number of them did, because those arguments that were filed in those papers were based off depositions that both on uh, depositions of lawyers, that uh, U.S. soccer lawyers took of members of the women's team, but also of their own executives uh, and and board members. That that's what gave the fuel to the arguments. You know, argue, lawyers make arguments, but they have to allege facts to back up those arguments. And if you look at the facts that were alleged, they come out of the various depositions. I mean, this is not a new strategy that U.S. soccer has had. Frankly, the whole reason they're in the lawsuit is because of the course of conduct they've had for a number of years, which spans, you know, goes back to Sunil Gulati's administration. Um, so you really have to look at the thing as a whole. And that was, I mean, 
Carlos, uh, is the right move to resign. Um, but it's not enough and there needs to be a real change. And maybe Will Wilson, um, coming in while there's this break, uh, of, of stuff on the field and maybe they use the, the kind of the, the stay at home, uh, to fix their house. Make no mistake as much as high profile and as important the NASL case is to me and to our investors. Uh, and we would hope to the fans of soccer in this country, the women's case. I mean, that has such huge implications and the arguments they made were so nasty. Uh, and for the, you know, that's their team, their world cup, two time world cup winning team, back to back world cup winning team. They won it four times. Um, for them to make those arguments, especially, you know, frankly, after the, for, for that stuff to get filed after the AGM, when Cordero brings up, uh, Jill Ellis and honors her and goes out of his way. And I really don't, you know, I think he, um, truly respects the women's team, respects Jill Ellis and doesn't believe those things personally. And so those arguments I don't believe were necessarily a reflection of, of him. Um, but this is, you know, it's, it's just how they could have bungled that so badly. It's, it's just, it's, it's more than one person. And, and frankly, letting Lydia Walke, who is their chief legal officer, take the fall for it, which I don't know if she has, or if she has, I saw some reports that she was placed on administrative leave. That's uh that's disgraceful. Um, unless she, you know, I, I don't know, but if, it, if she's just taking the fall and covering up for the fact that the board didn't uh, know enough or didn't want to know enough, um, that, that's too bad. With all uh, the reporting uh, with the mainstream media in U.S. soccer about the lawsuits and about all the wrongdoings uh, in the U.S. soccer governance, it feels like there's still never change. And it's up to the NASL in that lawsuit uh, to bring that change with the PLS and to change that relationship with Soccer United Marketing and U.S. Soccer. Yeah, I mean, look, what what the ultimate outcome is from our lawsuit will be, you know, it remains to be seen. But um, yeah, I think the the people should really ask themselves why are there so many lawsuits? Why is the federation spending money fighting the U.S. Soccer Foundation? Why did they file a lawsuit against them? Like, well, there must be a better way to conduct business than the way that the people at U.S. Soccer and their partners, their favorite partners, have been conducting it. But maybe there isn't because maybe they have, they see that there's a huge profit on the other side and they'd rather stick to the fight. And, and you know, look, Grayson and Watkins has been the longtime counsel for U.S. Soccer and they're involved in all these decisions. So I think it's kind of silly also by the way, to say that Latham um, is going to come in and save the day for U.S. soccer. They may come in and save the day and win the case. They've been very good at doing that and protecting U.S. soccer's interests. And I don't, I don't know, you know if, US, if Latham had any, what, to what extent they've had involvement in the labor discussions. But, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily that that's the saving grace for them. Um, they really need to do some soul searching and figure out, okay, what have we done wrong? And I think what we know is they tried to do that. Some people have tried to do that. And voices that question authority get shut down uh, and they don't get listened to. This rumor or this discussion on social media saying, uh, when will we have a separate or a competing federation? Have you discussed that with NASL investors? Has that ever come up in conversations? Uh, Because it seems like you're fighting this big battle and it's a very important battle. Um, But maybe there will come a day where they don't want to listen anymore and you have millionaires or billionaires on your roster, on your uh, side, uh, that can make a huge difference and do things the right way. 
I've definitely seen the arguments on Twitter um, and uh, and other places of the internet. Um, I, I think it's really challenging because it's you know, ultimately the FIFA system organizes uh, soccer around the world, right? And it, it's really challenging if you're not part of that system. I mean, FIFA's own rules basically say that if you are not part of the FIFA member, then FIFA people or part of the FIFA family, then part members of the FIFA family can't transact business with you, uh, which is really far-reaching. Um, so I think it becomes really challenging. You know, maybe it's something that the U.S. Olympic Committee uh, would look into one day and say maybe we, they need to take a, a role in this. Um, I don't have a lot of confidence in that happening though um but, i mean for, frankly i think hope solo filed a brief or a, 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 uh, an action in arbitration before the u.s olympic committee that found that u.s soccer was breaching rules and so maybe they will take a look at some point um but you know we've seen it's hard to get people to change like sports it's it's sports are tough uh they're heavily political um it's a business that attracts lots of eyeballs uh, and it's controlled uh, by governing bodies, whether it's a league or a federation or uh, something like the Olympic Committee. Uh, those people in power there, you know, they're politicians uh, at all stages. And so, you know, you see what happens with our national politics. It's really tough. We get suboptimal results uh, when there's not transparency, when there's not fairness, and there's not equality. And unfortunately, in this case, you know, we're, we're left to go to the courts to seek justice to hopefully try and solve some of that. Um, but it, but it's, it's a real challenge. And I, I don't know that starting a separate federation is a feasible uh, concept. Um, although one member of the federation did at one point tell us you should leave the federation and go, uh, go start your own thing, um, which is, you know, it's just silly. It's petty. I would love to get your thoughts on uh, Ricardo Silva, who was a former member of the NASL, a current member of the USL, his team Miami FC. Um, him and uh, Dennis Crowley of Kingston Stockade, they lost their uh, appeal battling in the court of arbitration for sport on promotion relegation in U.S. soccer. I don't know a ton about that case, um, which probably surprises some folks. Um, or maybe they don't know about a lot about anything. <laughs> They're not so surprised. But those, we were not party to that. The we the NASL, um, and so the filings that they that both sides put forward in that case um, were were sealed uh, because it was an arbitration. And I don't know if anything has been made public. And certainly, I, I don't even know if the full decision has been made public yet. Uh, but I. I you know, it's it's a tough case. I'm not um, entirely surprised. Uh, I think that was a big ask. Um, the language that FIFA has in their statutes is not the clearest. Um, but I, I, you know, it's unfortunate. Uh, it would be a better result for this country if we did have promotion relegation. And certainly, there's going to be some impact uh, to the current landscape. You know, it, it, look, I think it was something that I find crazy about this is to me what seems the most interesting thing. On, on social media by just following it. So following domestic soccer, especially for the last couple of years, the most, the biggest piece of interest isn't actually about the games and who wins the games and who wins the championship. It's been about expansion and the race for expansion and what market is going to get a team in MLS uh, or where a USL team pops up or where a NISA team pops up or what's going on in the MPSL. Um, 
And what I find ironic is with promotion and relegation, you have, that's literally part of the script every year. You're going to have a new team. You're going to have that off-field drama uh, every year. And maybe you don't have the negative side of it, which is teams going out of business, because if we could figure some of these pieces out, uh, and there's going to be some investment needed and some adjustment uh, to get there. No, certainly no question there. Uh, but I think it would have been amazing. I, I think promotion relegation is, is it, it's what, part of what separates uh, the sport of soccer around the world um, from other sports. And, you know, and obviously the argument's out there that, well, that's really soccer's basically the, the only sport. Well, that's really not true uh, in other countries. It's, it's, you know, it's just really not true. Um, and yes, other countries, their soccer leagues and clubs have had big head starts um, on what we have in the U.S. Obviously, I'm aware today's uh, MLS's 25th uh, birthday. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's the possibility for promotion relegation to succeed in the United States is certainly there. And it would be nice if we could figure out a way to make that happen, because I think it really would grow the sport in so many different ways. Um, in, in this country. I wanted to um, give this point to you, and I would like to get your thoughts on it. Once MLS stops expansion, like you just mentioned expansion, that's all they talk about every single year is, who's the next expansion club? Who's going to pay that $200 million or $300 million expansion fee in Major League Soccer, which is insane. Um, but once they reach that number in Major League Soccer, there's always talk about maybe a second division in MLS. Um, do you think once they, or ho hopefully once they reach that number and close off expansion, do you think that would help lower division soccer and uh, there would be more money in it and more sponsorships and maybe more television deals? Or will that hurt lower division soccer because those lower division owners that are only investing uh to get to the first division, which is Major League Soccer. There's so many examples. You have Steve Malik of North Carolina FC that wants to go to Major League Soccer. Will he be able to make it? Who knows? Tampa Bay Rowdies, and the list goes on and on and on and on. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think clearly without the ability to grow, um, you will see some negative impacts at the lower divisions. I mean, it, it, it may very well move to a true minor league, uh, major league, minor league baseball model, um, where the minor league clubs, their lower division clubs find it very difficult to survive if they have to invest in sporting club. Particularly, I mean, you know, one thing to think about here is there's the, the amount of movement of players and for value that goes between the lower divisions and major league soccer or the first division. And so if that, if that doesn't change, you know, I think you're going to see some of those revenue streams dry up, um, Certainly, some teams have had bigger revenues, gate revenues, uh, bigger uh, sponsorship revenues when they've been marketing the promise or the the prospect of going to MLS. Um, and but you know it's somewhat natural that the, you want to excel. People with sport excellence is what's rewarded. Um, people have an interest in being the best. You know we don't go to games to see our team lose. We want to every time you want you go out there and see your team win. Um, and so, and sponsors want to see that happen and fans want to see it happen. Broadcasters want to see it happen. Everybody who's paying to be affiliated with the club, uh, which and all that money ultimately is going to support the club, whether, uh, and, and, you know, the growth and the opportunities and give to people and to the community. Uh, it's all dependent on winning. I mean, that's, that's, 
that's why we want to see sports. I guess unless you're a Cubs fan, but you know, even the Cubs invested in winning <laughs> several years back. I have a bunch of friends in Chicago. I like to give them crap about the Cubs fans whenever I can. So no offense to 99.99999% of the Cubs fans, but to my Cubs fan friends, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Do you have a message for NASL fans out there that are waiting, that are sitting tight, waiting for their local club to return or for a new expansion team to come to their market, to their city, and just compete in the best league in the world, the NASL? Look, we're trying. We want to be back. So I appreciate the support first off, um, not just uh, now, obviously, but all along the way. Um, and we wish we could be putting games on in front of you and your communities and giving you know, your voices uh, a reason to, to scream and shout and set smoke bombs off in players and that passion that happens in the stands. I mean, I don't think I ever could articulate it in a truly meaningful way, but that's where my passion for the sport comes from is being a fan. Um, I used to fly, fly all around the world watching the U S national team. Um, and, uh, I still would, but my kids are too little, uh, you know, and like, there's nothing like a, a community coming together, uh, to celebrate what goes on on a pitch. And it, it's just better than frankly, the other sports. It's just different. I don't want to say better. It's just different the way that, that soccer, uh, brings out that emotion. Um, but, you know, have patience with us and please, you know, understand that these are nuanced uh, arguments. We certainly didn't want to be in a place where we had to sue the Federation uh, and sue MLS and there were other options available. And we, we tried, we tried, um, uh, but it got here. And, you know, I'd say, look, continue to support your clubs, continue to find joy in the game uh, really is, is the most important thing. Uh, the game, you know, the ball will always keep rolling. It's, it's such a, uh, an amazing sport. The ball's always going to keep going. Uh, owners of clubs come and go. Uh, obviously, clubs come and go. Leagues come and go. But there are, there hopefully will be a way for those clubs to stay, those communities to stay. And you know, certainly hope people aren't losing faith in, uh, in the sport uh, and what it does to bring communities together. Hopefully, I can have you on real soon to talk more about the NASL and stay safe in Colorado. Absolutely. Stay safe, John, and uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks for tuning in to First Team Podcast. I really do appreciate it. You can follow First Team Podcast on Twitter and on Facebook at First Team Pod. You can check out our brand new website, firstteampod.com. We have everything you're going to need there throughout this pandemic. We have uh, our podcasts, articles, and so much more on our website, firstteampod.com. And like I said earlier... You can send in your thoughts on soccer, the current state of the pandemic, whatever you want to discuss, feel free to email the show. I know this is a soccer podcast, and we love and we support the New York Cosmos. Um, but I feel like sport has to take that back seat, right? This is very important. We need to flatten the curve. We need to stop the spread of the virus um, so we can go back to work, we can gather once again and uh, come together as a community, as a country, as a city, as a state, and um, we can get back to a sense of normality. And I think that's the most important thing is that we will have a new normal going forward. And we have to deal with that and we have to live with that. Um, but I think sport, eventually, once it comes back, once the Cosmos hit the field in the fall, that will all go away. 
And every single week when you hear me chatting with a guest, your mind will get stuck into that. It will take your mind off of what's going on in your day-to-day life, in your day-to-day struggles during this pandemic. It's no different with me. When I sit down and I record this and I talk to different uh, people on the podcast, I feel better. And I think that's the most important thing. Thanks for tuning in to First Team Podcast. I really do appreciate it. You can follow us on social media. Stay locked there because we will have more information on who we will have on the show in the coming weeks. I will be back next week with another conversation with someone special, hopefully, to the Cosmos community. Um, So I will have more on that on social media if it does indeed happen. If not, we will be sitting down uh, virtually and talking to a different uh, guest. So thanks for tuning in to First Team Podcast. I really do appreciate it. And as always, that's going to your Cosmos. And most importantly, stay inside, practice social distancing so we can flatten the curve. Thanks, and let's go New York Cosmos.